0: I'm Al Phil Reese, and this is Poem Talk at the Writer's House, where I have the pleasure of convening three friends to collaborate on a close, but not too close, reading of some poems. We'll talk, maybe even disagree a bit, and perhaps open up the verse to a few new possibilities, and we hope gain for some poems that interest us, some new readers and listeners. And I say listeners because Poem Talk poems are available in recordings made by the poets themselves as part of our Pen Sound Archive Writing.upen.edu slash pensound. Well, Poem Talk has gone back on the road. This time it's a homecoming of sorts as we are here in Chicago, Illinois at the Poetry Foundation. The people here at the Poetry Foundation have been our partners in distributing Poem Talk since our very first episode back in 2007. And special thanks to the staff here, Noah Fields, Caitlin Cassidy, I think we should put our hands together for Noah, who's here, who's been so fabulously helpful, also Caitlin Cassidy, Idalmi Noriega, and others who have helped us put on this special episode before a live audience. And speaking of a live audience, yes, we have a live audience, and let's let them express their presence here for this recording by putting their hands together to make some noise to welcome our poem talkers. Thank you. And indeed, I'm joined here in Chicago by Lainey Brown, who traveled here from Philly as part of the Writer's House Mod Po team, whose most recent book, Amazing Book, highly recommended by this person here who's speaking, a uh, Translating the Lilies Back into Lists. That's the title of it, published by Wave Books way back in the summer of 2022. <laughs> it's a new book and among whose many other books is a collection of essays on the poet's novel. The poet's novel as a form of defiance, also 2020. You are just a little productive, Laney. And Periodic Companions of 2018, who teaches creative writing at Penn and is the coordinator of ModPo, our open online course. And by Gabriel Ojeda-Segay, a poet, critic, theorist, editor, whose book's editor, yeah, I guess we, ca- we have to think about
1: I feel like that one's more true than Theorist. Theorist is nice. It okay, do you want to French. be a theorist? Sure. Okay,
0: poet, critic, theorist, editor <laughs> whose books of poems include Oil and Candle, Jazzercise is a Language, Did You Know That? Losing Miami, and most recently Madness, published by Nightboat Books in March of 2022, and who has long been associated with the Kelly Writers House in Philadelphia and with Modpo, and who is currently a resident of this windy, supposedly windy city, not today, and a doctoral student at the University of Chicago, and by Lisa Fishman, a teacher and poet, and a lot of other things, I'm sure, theorist, critic. <laughs> I, you, Gabby, you set the biographical introduction bar high. Among whose books are 24 pages and other poems, 2015, Flower Cart 2011, And others, and recently, Mad World, Mad Kings, Mad Composition, published by Wave Books in 2020. teaches at Columbia College here in Chicago and lives in Orfordville. Wisconsin, did I say Orfordville right? You did. It really yes. does sound like a small town. How small is it?
2: It's a thousand two hundred people. It is
0: Orfordville, of yeah. course. And <laughs> so is we'll see dual... you
2: if you drive through. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll drive <laughs> slowly.
0: And is a dual citizen of the U.S. and Canada. Lisa, this is great. Thank you for doing this.
2: Thank you so much. It's, it's great really, to be here.
0: It's good to see you. We we just met yesterday. Yes. Gabby, hey yo. This is your sixth poem talk. I think that's right. And we think we're kind of stipulating that is, it is a record, but we're not sure about that. We'll have to Someone's going to, we're going to yeah, get hate hundreds mail. Hundreds of episodes. <laughs> hate mail from someone who's been on a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's always good to see you, Gabby. Good to see you. you. Welcome to Chicago. Thank you so much. And Lainey Brown. Hello, my friend, my hello. colleague. Happy to be here. Well, today we four have gathered here at the Poetry Foundation to talk about seven very short poems in Lisa Fishman's aforementioned recent book, Mad World, Mad Kings, Mad Composition. For viewers and listeners who are able to follow along in the book, it will help to know which seven they are. Many peop- they're, they're mostly untitled, so I'm going to mention the first lines. It's just easier to find them. Many people have heard, on page 51, others could tell the difference, on 65. Two poems have set... Have sent a point, that's a hard one to read, good luck Lisa. Have sent a point and who will confess that on 73. Taking a sick day to remember Mr. Fishman on page 149. A line through a forest on page 150. And finally, steering wheel in the field all hyphenated on page 163. Usually at the start of a poem talk episode we play a recording of the poet performing the poem from the Penn Sound Archive. But today, we have the poet with us. So here now is Lisa Fishman herself (laughs) performing these seven poems.
2: Many people have heard a cat speak once, and perhaps other animals as well. This proves animals can use words. They just choose not to do so for their whole lives in most cases. They're like monks who've taken a vow of silence with such dedication we imagine they don't speak. Others could tell the difference between the tones of bees from different hives, carniolan and Italian, but I couldn't. Each of us held a queen in a box and lowered her down to the top bar hives Andy made. Four boxes of bees into four hives equals four queens, 12,000 bees in all. I hadn't planned to help, felt dropped in the orchard by accident because of the bees' vibrational hum. have sent a point from out so far the tide returned to deepen in and slipping on the slick steps down to water I salt scattered fell. Who will confess that in a bad time some riven and arriving stone sounds clear for the waves Go back to beginning with A, breaking over the rocks. November 1st, 2nd, or 3rd. Take a sick day to remember Mr. Fishman studying French in time to be 80, March 10th. Get skiing out in the orchard hear a bird's drawn out of sleep Spruce staying spruce Birch becoming birch It isn't one thing I'm looking at I mean it's nothing made of ink A line through a forest Can follow a coastal line Seven breaths later, startle a bee in the orchard Out of the grape it was startled Before now, time turns around The breadth of a hair, Or a bee's leg, now Steering wheel in the field is an imaginary flower On the bent down path of foxtail and weeds, joyous to find a rusted out car there. I was 14.
0: Lisa Fishman reading her poems. (laughs) Lovely, beautiful. Thank you, Lisa. Okay, we're going to play, we're going to gamify this because we've got seven poems to talk about. I'm not sure we can do that in the time allotted. So if we miss one, I'm sorry in advance, but I think I'm a seasoned moderator, convener, I think we can get to seven. So here's what we're gonna to do to gamify it. Gabby first, you're gonna pick a poem of the seven, and then Laney, and then Lisa, and then I. We'll just go from there. So what's the one that's on your mind, Gabby? I
1: like the last one a lot, Let's Steering Wheel it. in the Field. Um, Let's do it. What do you wanna say about 163 for the readers. Well, you know, it's funny, as when it was in text form, it was just way less clear to me its grammatical structure. Right, so we have steering wheel in the field, line break, and then I could imagine it would go, is an imaginary flower on the bent down path of foxtail and weeds joyous to find a rusted out car there? I was 14. Or (laughs) joyous to find a rusted out car. There I was, 14. Um, So in this particular way all these poems are written where they're very condensed, there's very little punctuation. We've got a real sort of ambiguity about uh, the direction we're taking. And I think this poem kind
0: of launches that forward. Beautiful way to start. Uh, Lainey, um, it might take a while for some readers who are not familiar with names of flowers, but informal names of flowers often have that ring, steering wheel in the field. You mm-hmm. know. So for those of us who care about flowers, it we kind of know right, right up front that this is kind of a a somewhat mistaken name for a flower, and it turns out to be part of a rusted out car, So we've got, you know, we've got the human made thing in nature and this young person is sort of encountering that. You want to go from there with that?
3: Yeah, well, I love the juxtaposition of what we would see as kind of ruin or junk as animate and treasure and um, also this idea of imaginary travel comes up for thinking about a child coming up, not a child, a teenager coming upon a rusted out not physically moving, but we can imagine
0: traveling. Yeah. Lisa, um, I was 14, so uh, I do a lot of work with um, survivor testimony, and often it ends when there's a sudden, big, and typically traumatic moment, a a revelation for a young person. The last line in the testimony, not not to elevate this too intensely, but... Um, the last line is often, you know, I saw this thing, I was 15. I think that's literally a quote from Ellie Wiesel. You know, I was 15, like so. So am I wrong that this is a portrait of the poet or at least the speaker as a 14-year-old having telling us something amazing and revelatory that happened? And if that's the case, what the hell happened?
2: You are not wrong.
0: Oh. Um. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Got one. Enjoy
2: it. (laughs) What the hell happened is fairly straightforward in a way, I suppose. Um, However, it's fused, as far as the car goes, it is fused with something that I do with my students uh, periodically. I like to have us invent names for imaginary flowers. And um, a lot of this book actually is made of things that I've done in the company of my students and with students um, in the classroom. Do we
0: have any current or former students in the audience here? Is this true? Wow. Is this true? Can you let let the record show? There's waving going on. Interesting teaching. Cool. Uh, (laughs) Let the let audio listeners only uh, understand that they are nodding and that that's true. You're not making (laughs) it up. Thank
2: you. Um, However, it's fascinating to hear you make a your an echo that you're hearing um, with what you called with survivor testimony, Um, which I'm not going to say more about, but. There's nothing around this particular narrative, but the time mm-hmm. of this is So are fraught. we to
0: think that this 14-year-old went out away from society or to be alone and encountered a man-made thing, junky, almost like a Williams poem, you know? Like, oh, a rusted-out car, that could work, you know? And there was some kind of revelation about the juxtaposition.
2: mm mm-hmm. Yes, I think that that feels true to me. And the feeling that it has this sort of almost magical quality. Because, first of all, how would a car even get to this particular spot in the landscape? Mm. You know, there's no roads to oh. it. <laughs> um, mm. mm-hmm. And a um, fascinating car from the 50s, so it was this really interesting object. Mm. And just sitting and going back to the ground. Just becoming mm-hmm. part of everything mm-hmm. growing around mm-hmm.
0: it. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Okay, Lainey, pick another poem. There are six left.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I'm going to pick um, others could tell the difference. So the first one that we read that's on page 60. No, sorry, not 65, 65, 65. 66. 51. Many people have heard a cat's oh. oh, that's okay. Sorry. You
0: threw us up for a loop there. 51. <laughs>
3: I need to put my glasses on before I speak.
0: Oh, this is the prose poem about the cats talking. Correct. All right, yeah. I knew you'd pick that.
3: Of course. <laughs> Do you want me to say why? Please. Um, well, we have so many assumptions about animals. So why is it that we associate intelligence with speech or not just speech, but the power of speech, but speaking as opposed to we have the power of speech and also silence is can also a way of communicating and intelligence.
0: Remind our listeners and also our live audience, what happened here?
3: What happened here is there's a statement that animals, which I think is radical, that the assumption that animals don't speak is incorrect. It's actually the truth is that they can speak but they don't. They hold it in. They 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 don't choose to, like a monk taking a vow of silence.
0: Have you ever thought that Laney Brown yes. about a pet or an animal? Like, yes. they can speak. I wish they would, but they've taken a vow of silence. I must respect that.
3: Right. And then they, they also, they do speak in ways that don't include language.
0: Gabby, you're a cat person. Does this a ring a bell?
1: Person. A little bit, yeah. I mean, what I like about this poem is um, the association of discipline with animals. Discipline is a weird human thing, We we assume. It's like a weird mark of... Uh, a certain kind of human enlightenment or something like that and so i like the idea that animals are all hyper disciplined uh creatures who aren't um stumbling as low as us to be constantly noise making um it's a nice uh, you know it's a nice uh twist on the on a simple image you know i I like how straightforward and and Mm. kind of
0: twisted it is Mm. lisa um animals in poetry Can you say something on that topic? Well, they're (laughs) everywhere,
2: (laughs) Um, even when they're invisible, right? And ostensibly inaudible. Um, Yeah, I. It just occurred to me that um, how do we know they don't even speak as we do? We just don't hear them. Mm. They just do it when we're not listening. (laughs) I don't know.
0: And why is that good for a poet, or for poems, or for poetry?
2: I think perhaps it has to do with what listening to what you can't hear as well as what you can hear, um, and without necessarily without trying to fill it in, mm-hmm. right? Not to make something up or um, impose, a, you know, um, some speech or language onto the space of where there is not speech or right. sound but to be aware of it and of its possibilities. And you could kind of stop right there with the possibilities. The possibility is Mm. that you don't know what's in that space. That's quite brilliant.
0: That's really great. So silence is not inability. Mm -hmm. Silence causes people to assume an inability. It's actually a choice. Silence is something that the people around us and the animals around us might be choosing. All right, Lisa, you get to pick one. This is weird.
2: Yes. Uh, I'm... That's
0: supposed to be a laugh line, people. <laughs> okay. The poet has to choose a favorite.
2: I'm going to go with have sent a point from out. Oh, that's the hardest that's one. that's page 73.
0: Oh, I'm glad you picked that one. So it's even hard to read.
2: Yes. Would but... you
0: read it for us and then say what you want?
2: Yes. have sent a point from out so far. The tide returned to deepen in, and slipping on the slick steps down to water, I, salt-scattered, fell. I like that it's hard to read. I like that every, every, the position of every single word tells you how to read it. And I I like that um, you know having to listen or just listening for what the poem is telling us to to hear and and how to say it if you follow the form mm-hmm. if you read it with that.
0: Why are you so interested in the relationship between water? I'll say sea. Mm-hmm. I'll say sea, right? Mm-hmm. Water, sea, and land. You like that convergence? hmm Yes?
2: Yes. Of course, it's a, the place of where different elements are coming together um, and that space of both things being there at once together. Mm. And then there's the human in this landscape who can enter, you know, from one to the other and can enter by accident, mm. as in the poem, mm. which, where it's a falling.
0: Gabby Laney, either or both of you, can you speak to the difficult... I I would almost say uh, contorted syntax here. Gabby was referring to it in respect to another poem. I fell is the final predicate or final subject predicate pair, but it's I salt scattered fell, which I took to be almost possibly a hyphenated compound adjective and therefore classical in an HD sense. I salt scattered fell. Sounds like borrowing from the Greek. Is that what's going on? I mean, why is Lisa doing this? I
3: feel like there's a, an acknowledgment of the speaker being not separate from the elements, mm. and that is reflected in the syntax. And this, this poem makes me also think of this parable of a girl made of salt who wants to find an answer about the depths of the ocean and runs into the ocean and dissolves right so there's there's both kind of a danger of disillusion but also an acknowledgement that there's not any separateness to begin with so that that surrender is kind of part of this flow of being human and being part of the world
0: and because of the falling sorry gabby and because of the falling Mm -hmm. it's uh and it's slippery so this mm-hmm. person, this speaker—it's an I. This mm-hmm. speaker is doing something that's likely to get them into the sea. Mm-hmm. You know, um, be careful, Gabby.
1: Yeah, I was going i was actually just gonna track what Lainey was saying at a grammatical level, right? So we have have sent a point from out so far. There's a kind of a, a slightly larger um, space between so far and the tide, which is a little hard for listeners to hear if you don't have the poem in front of you but it's a slightly enlarged space which might be replacing a that have sent a point from out so far that the tide returned and but then when we get to deep in, in which seems to grammatically follow the tide returned and slipping we're now starting to merge onto the tide and the eye that falls right because the slipping would follow into fall but there's no sense at which the tide returned to deepen in and slipping on the slick, like we have no uh, division there between tide and eye. So it all gets really sort of merged in the way that Laney's talking about, but it's happening in this very um, condensed, almost imagistic um, poem.
0: Almost imagistic was a phrase just used. I referred to HD and so now I'm going to take my turn to pick a poem and I'm going to pick the one that's right below that one on 73. It's our fourth poem. And st- and say something that could be totally wrong in an influence, influence sense. It's This poem is the HD poem, I think. Um, and that's appropriate. That's why I got excited when Laney suggested that we would talk about you while visiting Chicago. You're a Chicagoan, so that would make sense. Except right here where the poetry magazine poetry magazine has its offices, why not do an HD poem? <laughs> so I'm gonna read it again and ask Lisa to, to start. I might say a couple of HD things about it and see if you will confirm or deny <laughs> and whether H D is hovering anywhere. First of all, it begins with a classic HD rhetorical question. Who will confess that? And HD's questions are always rhetorical. Like, I know the answer and I'm about to tell you. <laughs> Who will confess that in a bad time some riven and arriving stone? So I'm assuming riven and arriving are modifying stone. I could be wrong. Some riven and arriving stone sounds clear for the waves go back to beginning with a breaking over the rocks. So... Again, HD really interested in people or a sub-human subjectivity on the land dealing with the sea. Uh, we have the whole question almost, you know, HD is not influenced by Whitman, but HD was interested in some of the same questions as uh, about the ocean being our origin. And then we have this social phrase in a bad time, which could refer to economic bad times, hard times socially or psychologically a depression, right? In a bad time, and time being a human interval, then we face an ocean reminding us that the waves are incessant and it causes us to think about time in a bigger sense. And breaking, smashing, rivening that's not a word, is an HD thing because she wants to break apart this human idea that time is something that you could be depressed about in the last two weeks because something didn't go right for you okay how far off am I and would you like to elaborate on the claim that this is an HD poem <laughs> well I'm,
2: ha- I'm happy about the claim I welcome it I'm sure that um, that she is hovering here by accident right or un- with me being unaware of that I, the awareness that I felt as the poem emerged was Stevens a bit. And so, of course, there's some kinship and divergence there. But I loved hearing you, um, you know, hear the poem in relation to her very much. Mm. Uh, She's important to me. And the A... The article, the the um, indefinite article that precedes breaking. I wanted to play a little bit with that as alphabet letter, the beginning of the alphabet, mm-hmm. as well as what then initiates. Oh my god! The, so the A
0: verb. is breaking over rocks.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: the Go letter the beginning I, with A. Yeah, that makes sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Wow, there's a lot of poetry going on here. A lot of poetry history. You've got Stevens, there's Zukovsky in there, uh, and HD too. Wow, wow, wow. Lainey, Gabby, your thoughts on this before we move to another poem?
3: Yeah, I was thinking about one way that I would connect this to HD is that it's elemental. So we have the question who will confess that in a bad time? And the answer is the elements will confess it for the speaker. So the human speaker doesn't need to make the confession. It's reflected in the landscape. And then, the, and then thinking about the letter A, that also makes this a meta poem about writing. So we start with the alphabet again. It's, it's not the first time this has happened. We turn to the alphabet and start
0: again. Lovely. Thank you. Well, Kathy. Lisa, you've really
1: enlivened those last few lines for me. I, I'm going to be annoying and say somebody, another person that's not in the room, which is, I I, I was thinking a lot about Eileen Miles just about 10 minutes ago. Um, and I'm thinking about them again. And that's in part because Miles is interested in a really kind of condensed grammar and a really kind of twisty, their style is more kind of conversationalist, right? Kind of New York cool. But, um, but there's that still kind of twisted grammar. And when we were talking about I was fourteen, I was thinking about snakes. This Eileen Miles poem that just repeatedly says I was six, mm. um, in this really mm. perverse way. That's really fascinating. Um, and I was thinking about that. That the weird thing of putting your age and a moment in a poem, which is so anti-moment. Um, and I, I really, I really like this section. I think there's there's some really interesting work, and it feels. Um, I mean, the reason I agree with the HD thing is I feel like there's that kind of imagist impulse, uh, a kind of a density of the image, but a kind of sparse quality of the rhetoric, so to speak. So that's why it seems to make sense.
0: Yeah, and I think, Lisa, uh, um, HD was willing to be an Im- uh, the perfect imagist, but also at the same time to be programmatic, to say something large. So. Who will confess that in a bad time is not an images strategy. It doesn't follow the images manifesto. It's a it's a grant, it's trying to make a metapoem out of something that could be a description of what happens when the waves crash. Well, Gabby, we have three poems left. We're managing this. I want I you to pick good. one. Okay. Then Laney will pick one. And then of course Lisa and I will be left with the only one we can pick. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So
1: One we have not yet picked. So I'm going to do what is on 149 for anybody following in a book. Oh,
0: Mr. Um, Fishman.
1: Yes. Starts November 1st, 2nd, or 3rd. Um, Take a sick day to remember Mr. Fishman.
0: And I hear from Lisa that that could be considered a title, November 1st, 2nd, or 3rd. Okay, Laney, or is odd. Because if it's a diary entry, it would not be so imprecise typically. Mm-hmm. So it's not a diary entry. Mm-hmm. It seems like a note indicating a plan or intention. Like yes. November 1st, 2nd or 3rd, I've got to take a sick day from mm-hmm. work. <laughs> right. In right. order to do what, Laney Brown?
3: In order to mourn, in order to remember.
0: So mourn or pre-mourn, it's not clear in the narrative, probably mourn. To remember Mr. Fishman, the poet's name is Fishman, So, and this, this person is 80, so we're going to say it's an uncle or maybe a father. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's say father. So I'm a little confused, Laney, by the timing, because the father either was going to turn 80 March 10th, but March 10th would be some months ahead of the intention to, to memorialize. Yeah. Also, there's a problem of spring and winter here. So we're really, I mean, I'm like a terrible close reader because I can't get over it, Lisa. Um, Skiing in the orchard and there's a bird drawn out of sleep, which sounds like spring. So that sounds like March. That sounds like dad's birthday time. So I am totally confused. Can you help me, Lainey?
3: Sure. I think that morning changes time so that it's not linear Um, so, so, I mean, we could imagine many things, but the way that I imagine it is that, um, the speaker needs to take some time for reflection now, as soon as possible. Maybe it's October, maybe November 1st, 2nd or 3rd are possible days that the speaker could take. Why
0: would a, why would a, the child of a deceased parent need to take a sick day months before the birthday that commemorates a big year.
3: Because grief arises when it arises. It doesn't necessarily wait for the spring or for the death memorial or the birth memorial, or maybe it's an important date Um, maybe it's, maybe it's the birthday as opposed to the death day. Maybe it's, maybe there's a memory that day. Maybe there's other reasons why that date is, it's also around the day of the dead. Actually, that actually, that is the day of the dead usually is early November, the first few days of November. So it could be connected to that seasonal turning also because, oh, this is really important in the book. So the book is so much in the elements and things growing and seasons and planting. You mean Lisa's whole book? Right. <laughs> and so it's the end of the point of the wheel of time where we're mm-hmm. moving from fall mm-hmm. into winter, mm-hmm. you know, leaves are disappearing, the energy's going down in the roots. And it's, it's traditionally a time to connect with the other world.
0: That's fantastic. Gabby, what are your thoughts about this kind of morning?
1: Uh, I think to the question of whether it's sort of spring or autumn or what, uh, there we do have it isn't one thing I'm looking at as our as our turn away. So um, I do think that uh, kind of thinking in multiple levels is uh, a kind of grief state um, or a state commissioned by grief. Um, I also think that grief requires time and somewhat unconventional and somewhat not always commissioned ways um, I always, I always like uh, say to people that like my dad's death anniversary is like uh, totally unpredictable. It might be like the most boring day, or I might completely miss it, or it might be like it is the day today. You know, it, it, it can have a, a sort of quality, and so I, I like the flattening of time. But for me, what's what's really interesting here is the turn at the end that we get a very different stanza Mm. from what's come before us, which it it isn't one thing I'm looking at. I mean, it's nothing made of ink, which again has this kind of um, doubled sense, right? I I mean, I don't, I I don't mean to explicate all your doubled senses. (laughs) I'm Probably being very like teacherly about it, but I mean, it's nothing made of ink, which is a nothing that is made of ink or it's nothing made of ink as in we got to get outside of talking about ink to get to this thing.
0: Ink meaning the writing.
1: Yeah. Right. So it's unclear if it's, uh we are really dealing with ink or we are actually getting away from ink. <laughs>
0: it, so it, it's, you can turn to Lisa here. Uh, it's nothing made of ink could be the gesture of getting outside, taking a sick day and not writing, getting outside in order to memorialize dad because even though this is the result of ink, the, the memorialization itself, the elegy, it's pointing at a gesture of getting away from poetry. Uh, wow, 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 before I turn to you to, to help us with that last gorgeous stanza, just an incredible elegy, uh, I just want to point out in a pedestrian kind of way that spruce staying spruce because they're non-deciduous, so that would just happen right through the winter from October all the way to March. But birch becoming birch, so birch has to become birch again, and that would be March, not, not October. So I feel like this is a March poem. This is a dad's uh, turning 80 poem, birthday poem. But I love the idea that the sick day is required so much earlier. Okay, Lisa, we've said a lot. You must be just all ready to say things. But can you help (laughs) us with the last fabulous stanza, especially?
2: Um, First, I, I want to just, Lainey, thank you so much for revealing to me why it felt important to... You know, this is one of the few poems in the book that has a title and that the title is the dating um, or the, you know, not set dating, but different possibilities because of the connection to the cyclic um, seasonal experience that you were talking about. That feels so right to me. Um, The last stanza, with nothing I've always haunted by the nothing at the end of the snowman. You know, the this no- is
0: totally a snowman poem. I mean, yeah. you get the spruce yeah. is in there. Yeah,
2: it, Al Stevens, Stevens, Stevens,
0: the snowman. Stevens, yeah. Stevens yeah. The snowman. We've got a juniper mm-hmm. shagged with ice, exactly, and spruces in the distance. Do you know that
1: Al has that poem perfectly memorized?
2: I. Uh, That's I not a challenge. I'm not going to recite it. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs>
0: but you're hearing Stevens yeah. and nothingness.
2: I am, and how it is something there and something not there, and the doubleness that you have course, we're hearing utterly too um, and it, it has to be all it has to be unsettled um, in all of those ways
0: yeah. the book is full of poems much like six of the seven this is an unusual one for among the seven that we picked it's a personal poem
2: yeah and it's a poem that wouldn't have made it into many it, I wouldn't have put it into a book typically in mm. the way that I typically make my books or mm. put them together. So th- this book has a lot of such poems, perhaps to its peril. <laughs> but in this case, it's not anything I would ever have included. Mm. And then the way that this book happens kind of gave that permission for this one to be here.
0: Nice. Mm -hmm. Okay, Lainey, we have two more poems to talk about. Okay. You pick one of the two, and we'll see if we can make relatively quick work of the two remaining, because I want to have time for Gathering Paradise and so forth.
3: Okay. We did not do Others Could Tell the Difference on 65, so why don't we go there?
0: Okay. Lisa, would you be willing to reread that one, Bottom of 65? Of course.
2: Others could tell the difference between the tones of bees from different hives, carniolan and Italian, but I couldn't. Each of us held a queen in a box and lowered her down to the top bar hives Andy made. Four boxes of bees into four hives equals four queens, 12,000 bees in all. I hadn't planned to help Felt dropped in the orchard by accident because of the bees' vibrational hum.
0: I think I'd like to direct us, partly in the interest of time, to the last stanza, because we have now a first person pronoun revealed. We have a group of friends apparently doing some beeing. What's the word for that? Beekeeping. Beekeeping. Well, they're sort of voluntary, they're helping out the beekeeping. Uh, it seems like the. Um, the speaker it knows about bees, but isn't on the inside of bees, a beekeeping society. you know. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't planned to help, felt dropped in the orchard, Laney Brown, by accident. Why? I mean, this is so right up your alley, Laney, I think. <laughs> what kind of well, accident is this?
3: I feel like the, the whole this whole short poem, that I keep coming back to the question of what is listening and How are our ears tuned and also what is being useful? So the obvious thing would be, well, we have, we're keeping bees to have honey and to repopulate our world with bees, but this is not about the bees as producers of honey, but what happens by their vibration and how does that tune humans?
0: Gabby?
1: I was going to say, I mean, this poem feels like, um, I don't, I don't know how to put this, like it, like, uh, when you don't really quite get an animal <laughs> and there's other people who totally get it and they're totally used to it. I, you know, I'm like, that's me with horses. Like, you know, there's people who like really get horses and do horses. And I, I'm just like, no, that's like a mystical, gigantic creature. Right. So th- there's like a little bit of that magic of distance. Uh, others could tell the difference, but I couldn't is how, is basically how this starts and so feeling dropped in the orchard by accident, I mean, I think it's a happy accident. It's a sort of like, I'm here because it's here. I'm here because I'm here. And I'm like surrounded by this hum, which is a pretty kind of magical thing. We're also in a very, you know, we're in a pro bee time. We need to be pro bee. <laughs> um, bees are cool. <laughs> and I think this is a poem that kind of just thinks bees are really cool.
0: Bees are kind of, they're sort of poets. They're certainly musicians, but they might be And poets dancers too. for sure. They dance, sure. yeah. Yeah. Lisa, a quick thought on that last stanza and the first-person pronoun.
2: You know the way you were just saying, Gabby, about um, it's just where I happen to be. You know, in a way that (laughs) (laughs) wasn't going there. Let be
0: be the finale of (laughs) theme.
2: Well, in a way that speaks to the uh, the presence of um, where I happen to live. You know, I happen to live on this farm, and there happens to be things like beehives and orchard. Um, so because it is around me, it sometimes gets into the poem. But it isn't ever an intention to like write about you know the beautiful farm thing. <laughs> it's just where I am, maybe at that moment. And I felt a connection to the way you were talking about feeling the moment in the poem. Mm. To the, to the whole, um, in a way.
0: The seventh and last poem that we chose is also a bee poem, so this works out. And then I'm going to ask each of you to offer a final thought on this selection of Lisa's poems. And then we're going to do Gathering Paradise, so it's going to be fun. All right, I'll read it. A line through a forest can follow a coastal line. Seven breaths later... Startle a bee in the orchard. Out of the grape it was startled. Before now. Time turns around the breadth of a hair or a bee's leg. Now. Laney, there's two uses of the word now. I wonder if you would riff or buzz on now. <laughs> or, hum. or hum on now.
3: So we have in the middle, we have before now. And then at the end, we have now. So we have a certain amount of time before now, and then we're in the instant. And the language in between those two nows, I feel like it's trying to describe the smallest, infinitesimal, tiny, and there's a tenderness there, like unfathomable, the breadth of a hair, or a bee's leg is so tiny, and that's connected to... This concept of the the now,
0: Gabby.
1: Yeah, I, I almost feel like I wanted to say the same thing. I, 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 you know, I love a good microscopic, surgically precise kind of poem. Mostly, I think maybe because I can't write them. Um, but I, I like the. Time turns around, then we have this indented the breath of a hair. That's by the way, B R E A D, T H as in the with.
0: And we have earlier seven breaths.
1: We have seven breaths, B R E A, T H S, no D uh, inhalation. Um you know, it's it's a really kind of meditative uh poem, I think. And one that arrives in a in a very kind of quiet way to say now, right? That 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 last um it almost feels like at the end of a kind of minuet, when it just goes da you know that like last little <laughs> Mozartian kind of ping. Um, that that feels like what the the stylistic thing is here.
0: Lisa,
2: I feel like that now. There's this there's this tension in the book. Uh, another line elsewhere is something like, "and you haven't stuck to the fact that now is a redundant word," hmm. and. Do we ever need to say, now, for example, if, if you're using the word is? I, I don't know, but it's, of course, a, a larger question about what the present is.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that a number of the poems in this book are, could be called climate change poems, forgive me, it's a category, and you're not a categorical, poem by poem, you're not a categorical kind of poet. But, you know, we have to think urgently about the bees and your micro focus is one way to help poetry do that. Final thoughts. So something that you came here today wanting to say about the wholeness of the selection or of the book that you haven't had a chance to say. So Laney, do you have a final thought?
3: I do. Um, I wanted to say something about the overall form of the book because I think it's, it's so amazing the way that there are so many fragments. I don't know the number of fragments. Um, so many tiny poems that this book is constructed of, and it's put together so artfully in this flow. Um, it's, really, it's really incomparable.
0: Lovely. Formally. Thank you. Agreed. Gabby, final thought.
1: I think there's a little bit of um, envy for the cat in the, <laughs> that the cat doesn't have to talk very often. Um, these are poems that I think want to ring out in what isn't said and have a kind of condensation that maybe begrudgingly has to talk to get it on the page in the first place. Like there has to be some amount of language to even arrive there. And so I think that, that cat that we started with is sort mm. of the, the little like, oh, I wish I could be that little poet, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and only speak... When you want to, when once. You need to be fed. <laughs> Lisa, this is odd. You're the poet. We've been talking about your poems, but do you have a final thought?
2: <laughs> right. Just to add on to that, only speak when you can't hear me, right? <laughs> only speak when you won't know that I'm speaking. Um, it's a vexed book. It's haunted by Laura Riding's renunciation of poetry. Uh, and so that's another way of talking about the envy of the cat. Um, And so, it's a kind of messy book, very different from all of my others. Um, Thank you for describing it as you did, Lainey, uh, because it could also be described um, less charitably (laughs) in its form, formation. Yeah, uh, that's all I have to say.
0: Well, uh, my final thought is just to note my reaction to having read this book three times. Uh, twice to try to find how we would ever pick just a few poems out of it and then the third time just to get the whole sense of it and I found it to be at first a book that's trying not to be overtly emotional or sentimental to to say the least but it is those things it is very powerfully emotional we talked about the fact that when you when you mourn a parent it's going to happen all year and that you literally need to take a sick day which is just a terrible irony you know presumably because most when we lose a parent mostly it's due to illness sickness and you need a sick day so I just I just found Mr. Fishman to be just a great character yeah good old Mr. Fishman uh, who didn't get to 80 I'm guessing Um but then but not so overtly emotional the joy I I think of Williams, William Carlos Williams, you know, taking hikes in the Meadowlands and finding crap and shit, and thinking this is a reason for poetry. That the joy that the fourteen-year-old found in the rusted-out car that she, as a speaker, turns into a flower, is a reason for poetry in itself. That joy, that pleasure, and it is a, it's it's a way of saying that what we have invented. In this world and in a way of used to ruin the world is not gonna mess with a 14 year old sense of natural joy. Well we like to end poem talk with a minute or two of gathering paradise which is a chance for us to uh, spread wide our narrow Dickinsonian hands and gather a little something poetically good to hail or command something or some one going on in the poacher world or the movie world or the dance world whatever whatever Laney, did you have one? I do.
3: I wanted to recommend a book that is the letters between Rosemary Mayer and Bernadette Mayer that is just out from the Swiss Institute. Um, you may be familiar with the poet Bernadette Mayer. Her sister, Rosemary Mayer, the late Rosemary Mayer, was an amazing visual artist and writer. And the, this is the first time this correspondence is published. So it's beautiful.
0: Great recommendation. Gabby. Uh, Gathering Paradise. That's yeah, I want to
1: shout out a book that's not out yet, um, but I'm hoping with the delay of our poem talk release and also just excitement that that will be fine, uh, which is that Nightboat Books is doing a collected of David Melnick, um, who I think is the best poet nobody knows about, um, who is a kind of gay experimentalist of the 20th century wrote four relatively small books and then was just like peace out I'm gonna live in my house and not talk to any of you ever again and they're all really good and super mind-blowing and super weird and I still have no idea what to do with them and I've been reading them for a long time so a collected is exciting
0: fabulous Lisa gathers some paradise
2: okay so because I'm not sure if there'll be an opportunity for this to come up when we're talking about Gabby's poems later this afternoon. I, um, I want to recommend a poem, a poem by Aimee Césaire, uh, Macumba Word, which some of my students should recognize from our first course packet. Uh, and I was reminded, it, it, it dovetailed with my reading of your book, this particular poem, Macumba Word, translated from French by Clayton Eshelman uh, and Annette Smith. And um, I just... I'm not even sure that you can access it electronically, but it's in the Jerome Rothenberg Volume 1 of Poems for the Millennium. Um, and do you know the poem, Gabby? I don't. Okay, so anyway, Makumba word. Uh, I just want you to go to paradise with that poem, be in paradise yeah. with that poem.
0: That's great. Cool. Fantastic. Um So Lisa has just broken the fourth wall of Poem Talkness by (laughs) saying what I don't mind saying, which is that in this same space, in a few hours, we're going to be talking about poems by Gabby from Gabby's book Madness. And so you can find, listeners to Poem Talk can find that it will have been done and edited and should be available through Modpo and on YouTube. So, And so my that's a great setup. My Gathering Paradise is, in fact, the aforementioned book, Madness.
1: We've got a lot of mad things today. I noticed that. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and the, these poems were written by our Gabby, but not really. They're poems by Luis Montes Torres. Gabby wrote them, but Luis's, these are Luis's poems. And so when I ask, by shouting out this book, Madness and asking Gabby to read one of Lou's early poems. I want to make sure that you know this is not Gabby's words, but Lou's words. And would, you, would you be willing to yeah. read an early Lou poem in the, in the park? Oh, yeah. Sure. Kind of a steamy poem. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um,
1: in the park. Pretend with me. Waving our arms, tangling our tongues in the middle of the park, designed, unfortunately, just for this. I would like to whisper to you, if you do not believe me, I am in control. You don't need a phone. Pass by me. This is a tree. We're pretending.
0: Well, that's all the cats choosing not to use their words we have time for on Poem Talk today. (laughs) Poem Talk at the Writers' House is a collaboration of the Center for Programs in Contemporary Writing and the Kelly Writers' House at the University of Pennsylvania and the Poetry Foundation, poetryfoundation.org. Thanks so much to my guests. This is a good time to put your hands together. Lainey Brown. (laughs) Gabby Ojeda-Segay. And... Our Poem Talker and Poet featured today, Lisa Fishman. And to Poem Talks directors and engineers today on video, Zach Cardner in the back of the room. And Chris Martin who on audio had a harder job than you realize. Chris Martin right over here. And to Poem Talk's editor, the same Zach Cardner. And once again, we ask our fabulous live audience to register their appreciation of our Poem Talkers by putting their hands together again. Okay. Next time on Poem Talk, I'll be back in Philadelphia joined by Kate Colby, Jonathan Dick, and Bethany Swan to talk about a poem called Long Light by Hua Nguyen. This is Al Phil Reese, and I hope you'll join us for that or another episode of Poem Talk.